as well. But uh, if anyone doesn't know Dee, uh, Dee's a WNBL champion. She's a former GEMS coach. I think she's done a fair share of coaching in her time. And she's also currently our champ women head coach for anyone that doesn't know that as well. And Dee is going to tell us where she spent the last few weeks. So maybe we'll get it started with the first question. Where are you currently right now? I am in hotel quarantine at the Pan Pacific in Melbourne. So it's it's home, but it's it's so close, but so far. So I'm I'm here. I think I'm day. I've I've lost it. I think I'm day nine of quarantine. Um, so yeah, I'm in my hotel room, which I can't complain. It's quite lovely and and pretty big. So there's 13 steps from my window to my door, which I've I've worked out quite quickly. Um, and I have a nice city view and everything, so it's quite lovely. But um, yeah, I'm keen to get out next week. Great, great. And now what does a day in hotel quarantine look like? So talk us through like, what have you done to, I guess, stay busy or keep yourself sane? Well, I mean, I'm, I think I've spoken to you a few times. I'm quite happy in hotel quarantine. It's forced me to actually take a break um, because as you know, I'm extremely busy and um, don't really stop. So I think the fact after I landed um, day two of my quarantine was my birthday. So I was able to milk that for a couple of days and I had lots of deliveries. So that was excellent. And the hotel staff were lovely. They were trying to, to make it as nice as possible, but um, they sort of have an hour window for mealtime. So between 7.30 and 8.30, my breakfast gets delivered. So it's a knock at the door. And so you've got to wait 15 seconds before um, you open the door. So you've got to have a mask on open the door, grab a brown paper bag of your breakfast and close it and wash your hands and then eat. And then everything's got to be double bagged when, so you've got to get rid of your rubbish after each meal. So you have to um, put it all back in the brown paper bag, put it in a plastic bag and put it outside the door. So, um, you know, no one comes into your room. So if you want to change linen or change your towels or do washing, you'll do hand washing. Um, I think I've had one laundry that was free, I think, and the rest you've got to do your own your own washing. So, um, you know, I think for me uh, really early on and because I've done a fair bit of traveling and being in hotels, I sort of made it um, sort of my own pack to separate my room into spaces too. So, um, you know, I don't sit on the bed and lounge around because I probably wouldn't do anything for the whole day. Uh, so I've sort of got a workout space. I've actually, every morning I've been doing a um, fitness session with the Opals because they're currently in quarantine up in Brisbane so their strength and conditioning coach is up there so I've been jumping on them which is exhausting uh, but it's been good for me to you know do a you know half an hour 40 minute session first up in the morning um, get that done um, I've been speaking to family and friends of course uh, and obviously my two little babies um, that I miss dearly but uh, yeah and then you know I actually still have some work to do from the Olympics so I've uh, I've got I'm chipping away at the report that I'm doing with that but uh, managed to with you as well have a trivia night with the Hume Broncos senior women last night which was really great to see everybody and you know I've been doing a few zoom sessions like this um, you know having a chat to, to basketballers so yeah I've passed the time really quickly so I'm hoping that it keeps flying until next week. Great great all right now let's just lead into I guess why we're here or why we're chatting to you so what was your role with FIBA and what did you actually have to do? So I um, obviously pretty much got offered a an opportunity of a lifetime to go over as a, um, a FIBA scout or a, an analyst. Um, I'm still pinching myself that I was able to do this. And uh, there were four of us um, from around the world that um, were in this role. And um, the other three analysts or panel, um, uh, quite some, or 
more experienced or older than me. So I think um, it was it was nice to probably have some fresh eyes, like someone much younger than them there as well. But um, yeah, essentially uh, our role was to, I guess, represent FIBA, but to be there and scout each game. So two of us were doing the women's competition and two doing the men's competition, but we, we still watched every game and took notes about offensive style of play, defensive trends, um, coaching trends, um, post timeout, what um, what actions coaches tended to use, um, also late game or late shot clock ideas as well. Uh, and if there were anything that was consistent or whether, you know, the athletes, it was more athlete driven, because obviously at this level, there's a lot of, um, you know, very experienced players. Um, so sometimes coaches to let, let the athletes dictate that late in games and, and quarters. So um, yeah, analyzing that. And then after each game, uh, we'd sit and debrief uh, and then, yeah, essentially take notes. So now, I'm in the process of developing a report um, that includes overall summaries of the women's competition, but then breaking down each country um, and, and also talking about their key players, obviously, as well. Yep, yep. And what will FIBA do with this, I guess, uh, um, this info? Yeah, well, <laughs> in saying that, I'm not 100% sure exactly, but I have been told, obviously, they will, um, you know, because they'll get one for the men's and one for the women's. Um, they'll vet it as well because, you know, we can't probably be too scathing about some countries or we can't be too biased in other areas. So they'll go through it. Uh, and, you know, I guess the whole point of it too is um, a development opportunity, but it's also information for each federation or each country. So um, this report will then get distributed to each federation. So it will come to Basketball Australia. Um, and so they will see essentially an overall summary. Um, and, you know, from a different point of view too, because obviously they'll get their review and feedback from our Australian coaches, but um, it's from us that have also been watching 52 games in two weeks um, and being able to compare them quite closely and intrinsic intrinsically. So, um, yeah, it'll then filter down and every federation, I guess, will have the option to do what they want with it. They'll either park it or keep it in mind or they'll put it through their high performance programs or it'll be a review for their national coaches to have a look at how different countries are evolving. And there were some countries that really showed a, a big um, improvement or a, a variation in their style of play, particularly since Rio even. Um, and I think that's what obviously FIBA are looking at is, you know, how the modern game is is changing. because And especially for kids these days too. I know me growing up um, as a player, um, I was a point guard. So, you know, I was just solely taught point guard skills. And now, you know, players are so versatile and coaches are looking for that versatility. Um, and so now it's really important that players have a, a great aspect or understanding of every position. So, um, you know, I think, you know, just showing how every country is is changing and evolving um, and modernising their game too, because it, it does go in, I guess, um, swings and roundabouts, like it is kind of going back. There is some old back-to-basket post-play, which is really exciting because I think it's, it should never disappear, but there were some countries that came away with with no legit five man, which was really interesting. Yep, yep. So now, obviously, you watched a lot of basketball. What was a day in Tokyo like for you? I mean, I've heard this, but let's explain. Yeah. So I guess um, it was obviously very different than if I experienced. Um, it was my first Olympics, so I've got nothing to compare it to. But obviously, COVID impacted 
um, the process a lot and it was very strict in terms of our hygiene and um, you know everything I was in a mask for 18 hours a day essentially um, but you know the hand sanitizer and everything but we were in a hub so I was in a hotel about 15 minutes away from the basketball stadium and it was a beautiful stadium too it would have been so nice if they could pack it out even just with locals um, it would have been incredible but yeah, 15 minutes away. So in the morning, um, we I'd have to wake up, do a COVID test straight away. Um, and then, um, yeah, there was hotel breakfast. So we had to go to a particular area within um, the downstairs restaurant that was just solely for us and the referees. Uh, and then catch the bus at eight o'clock. Um, we'd drive to the stadium. Uh, we had to, there was a checkpoint just on the outskirts of the stadium. So we'd all have to get off the bus. Police and army would search the bus um, for any either people, packages, um, anything under the bus, bombs, all those sort of security checks. Uh, we had to take our bags or anything that we had with us and go through a checkpoint um, quite similar to the airport and get everything screened. We'd have to get our temperature taken, um, our accreditation checked, which I have actually here to show my accreditation as well. Um, so this barcode, uh, this is essentially was my visa for being in Japan as well. So if you weren't wearing this, I had to wear this all day, every day, everywhere. Um, Cause if you didn't have it and it had like particular, like so this number two and it had little codes of the areas that I was allowed to be in. So it was really quite, it was very strict about where you could go. Um, so yeah, we'd do the security clearance and then they'd drive us to this back back doorway of where it was a FIBA entrance and um, yeah we'd go in and it was where the refs could hang out but we had our own separate scout area that were desks and we'd be near one of their uh, the FIBA uh, media personnel who would always print us uh, the games for the day the starting lists which would also have their accumulated stats and you know just personal information age height all those sorts of things um, I guess for comparison against each team and and so then we'd sort of essentially discuss the day coming forward and then we'd move out to the court um, and we'd sit and watch, you know, we had four games. So in between each game, there was a bit of downtime. Uh, we weren't allowed outside the stadium. We weren't allowed to go watch any other sports. So um, sort of as a week or the first week got on, we realised we needed to get some steps up. So we, <laughs> we cut some laps around the state on the inside of the, the first tier to try and get moving. But after each game, we'd go and debrief about it. Um, and particularly if it was a women's game, um, you know, myself and um, the other analyst, we'd listen to feedback from the other guys in case there was something that we'd missed or that they had a different point of view. Uh, and then, yeah, we were able to then also um, meet with other FIBA staff. And um, yeah, it was a lot of talking basketball, which was amazing for me and networking. Um, so there was downtime, obviously, between each game. Um, and then, you know, we had the opportunity to, to go up to the corporate lounge and view, actually view some other, um, the TV screens, watching some other sports because we were so, not isolated, but everything was basketball. It was actually nice to be able to see a little bit of some other sports at the Olympics. Uh, and then we'd just go straight back downstairs and watch the next game. So it was four, four games and, um, yeah, then we had to wait for the referees because they always did a review after each game and they do a video review. So they would have to sit with their, their supervisor immediately after the game um, and do a full debrief. So we had to sort of, we were on their time and wait for them. Um, so particularly after, after the Opals game against China, that was a little bit awkward and uncomfortable with the refs on the bus on the way back. Um, but certainly, 
yeah, we, we'd wait outside at quarter past 11 at night. So we'd been there since quarter past eight in the morning or 20 past eight. And then at quarter past 11, we stood outside. So I was able to get, I was maybe two metres from the door and I could get some fresh dark air um, and then wait for the bus and then get on the bus. So the Japanese are very efficient and very organised. So the bus would not leave a minute earlier. So we'd have to wait um, even if there was no one else coming to the bus. Um, yeah, before we, hi, Hannah. Um, and then, yeah, and then we'd go back to the hotel. So, you know, we spent a long time at the stadium. Uh, so any time when we got back, if we had to do hand washing or, um, you know, if we did any work or we wanted to catch up with someone, it was, yeah, a very late night. So it got quite exhausting towards the end. But, you know, all of us were in the same position where we're at the Olympics. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So we sort of powered on. Great, great. So do you think you have one thing that was the highlight of the whole trip? Um, I was certainly being witness to the, the men's first um, medal at Olympics and watching that bronze medal game. Um, that was incredible. So obviously our Opals have won a number of medals, but being present for the men's and particularly off the back of Paddy Bill's performance, like, you know, being able to see um, the body language of the bench all the time and, you know, the way they um, looked after each other and sprinted to pick each other up on the floor. I know the replays would probably, or televised would be somewhat different. They'd be showing replays. So to be able to be there live and, and see um, all the other bits and pieces that were going on. Um, yeah, it was unbelievable. Like it was really hard being there with fever because we had to be somewhat neutral. And so there was another um, Australian that was there with me. So I must say though, we, yeah, we got quite vocal in that game, which was excellent. But, you know, we, we weren't told to sit down um, finally, which was good. I actually got told I had to shut up a couple of times by some FIBA officials that I had to tone it down a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it was it was incredible. And I think, you know, as much as Paddy Mills' performance was outstanding, it was really good to see all the other uh, contributions. And particularly, like, for me, my favourite player out of that boom is, obviously, other than Paddy, was um, Nick Kay. I just think, um, you know, he was captain consistent for that whole tournament and all those little things. And he was always the first one to pick up a player off the floor. Um, he was always cheering loud from the bench. Um, he was always communicating on defense. He was always doing those little things. He always could defend uh, perimeter players. Um, so I found I was constantly drawn to watching him all the time. So, um, yeah, certainly I think the, the Boomers bronze medal um, game was my highlight. Great, great. Now, how do you think this international competition is different compared to the others you've been a part of? So obviously you toured the world with the gems. So how do you think these two would have been different in preparation, in uh, the isolation as well um, for the athletes too? Well, I mean, yeah, like I said, I haven't been to an Olympics before. So for them being in the village, I think it was quite similar to what they've experienced in the past. But in terms of um, performance, certainly a part of the report that I have to prepare also has to detail their preparation. So um, we've had to actually uh, research and speak. We spoke to officials, we spoke to coaches there as well about what preparation they'd had and all of them were quite different. And so for, for example, in the women's competition, Korea did nothing. They couldn't, they couldn't even hold a camp. They had, you know, they had very, a lot of it was virtual sort of Zoom sessions like this. And it wasn't till right before the Olympics that they were able to get together. They weren't allowed to leave the country. They couldn't go on trips to play other, or, or even um, internally play other games. Um, so they had no practice games leading into that tournament. Um, you look at the Opals and they, 
since the Olympic qualifiers in February, they had no practice games other than the two that they had in the States, obviously the one USA and against Nigeria. Uh, whereas France, they, since May, they played 11 friendly games and also played the Euro basket. So for all the European teams, they played in their Euro basket, which was essentially like our Asia cup and, and everything. They played all these European games. Um, so for them, that really, sort of conditioned them for a hub life as well. They did tournament play under COVID conditions. So they got used to, you know, what they were allowed to do or what they couldn't do. And then they also, um, you know, were getting that really high level exposure to elite games. So all the European teams came in the best prepared for that tournament. So, um, you know, I think in terms of standard, you know, um, it is quite different to, it's hard to compare it to, uh, Rio, for example, because of the COVID impact. But for myself, obviously, um, you know, it's hard, I can't compare it to Gems because they're they're eighteen year olds versus um, elite um, senior players. So, uh, you know, I guess the tournament play still all has the same aspect. There were still players that didn't suit a certain style of play, or for you know teams playing against. Um, you know, Japan or China, for example, because they're, they're much, well, especially Japan is so much smaller and faster. There were, there were um, players that were too tall and cumbersome to, to get on the floor. So for athletes having to deal with the fact that, you know, they've been playing big minutes, but then that they didn't suit that style of play. So they didn't get on the court in that game. I think, you know, you've got to be able to have that professionalism and maturity to deal with you know, not getting on the floor and understanding that it's that's the role you have to play for your team. And I think a really good example even it was Matt Delavadova, who'd been starting and playing quite decent minutes through that tournament. I think he played two minutes in that bronze medal game. Um, you know, but he was, again, one of the loudest cheerers and the first to run out of the floor in timeouts. And, you know, I think it really, um, you know, I think players understanding their role um, at senior level was clearer than you know, for under 19s, you know, I think it's harder for, for junior players to appreciate that or understand that, that, you know, their coach's decisions based on who you, you're playing against, not on your ability at that time. So. Great. Great. All right. Now leading to something a bit closer to home, how has this past season been with the senior women at Broadmeadows? Well, obviously today we found out that our season's done too, which is, um, you know, I think, as much as it's also, it's upsetting, but I think it's also a somewhat of a relief too, because, you know, we're all going through this lockdown and, and having an idea or some sort of, I guess, um, answer to, to what's coming up next um, has helped. But I must say in my coaching career to date, it's probably been one of the most difficult seasons I've ever coached. Um, you know, we had to not only combat the fact that we had a, a very different group, but we also um, you know, juggled a lot of early injuries. So, um, you know, even looking at the healthy players we have now, um, you know, I think for me, it's been a really difficult challenge because even our pre-season and, you know, Ciro, like I, I um, had that plan to a T of how to slowly build people out of, out of COVID. And I sought advice and counsel from professionals and tapped into resources with Basketball Australia to work out our pre-season so that we were building up um, enough, uh, I guess, um, court time versus conditioning versus impact um, with lower leg um, issues for our players so that they wouldn't, they'd be peaking at the right time. So all that science, everything behind it, and it still didn't prepare us 
um, appropriately for the injuries that we received. So, uh, you know, I think it was a really satisfying um, season on the other hand, because we were able to play all Hume Broncos juniors. We were able to develop players. We came out of a year of not playing and everyone was then able to engage, get fit, play hard together, socialise as well. I think that was a really important key, just, you know, for that mental health side of things um, and be around people that they enjoyed spending time with. And so that was probably the most satisfying part of this season. Um, and certainly it showed, you know, our trivia night last night was outstanding and a blast because we were able to see each other and catch up. And I think it's, you know, one of the closest teams I've ever been a part of. Um, but yeah, very difficult in terms of the injuries. So, you know, it's disappointing that we couldn't keep playing, but I think, you know, for where we're at, I think everyone is probably in the same boat where we're, you know, we're okay with the decision. I think it helps, you know, people recover because yeah, we have been, you know, smashed a bit with uh, some uh, unfortunate incidents with our group. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm going to open up for questions for everyone. So if you want, you can um, just raise your hand and Todd can unmute you if you want to verbally ask it, or you can type it in too. So this can be, I guess, anything the D, um, Tokyo related, Gems related, Broncos related, or basketball in general related. So feel free to type. Um, I'll give you like 30 seconds or so. Um, but yeah, we'll open up some questions because we do still have access to D for this next half. Of yeah, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm stuck here in the hotel, so you've got me anyway. <laughs> Great. So if you have anything, just um, type it in or raise your hand too. Um, you can also personally message me just on the drop-down menu. Um, great. All right, we've got a question from Riley. So did you get to meet any other players over there? Um, yeah, well, it ended up being – oh, God, what have I done here? I've done something with the chat. Yeah. So I ended up um, – it was quite funny where we were – um, sitting for the game, um, you know, like I said, with the accreditation, we could go through it. Essentially, we had access to pretty much the whole the whole stadium except for the change rooms areas. Um, but we didn't realise that when the players, because they had to exit the court down the other end and go through a media zone, so they'd get dragged by reporters to speak and then they got shuttled out this other area, um, that they actually walked all the way around the court right to where we were hanging out, like our rooms were with the refs and our staff sort of um, seating area. So when um, it probably took a week and then, cause often we would go up to the lounge and debrief up there. So we realized that, um, yeah, when I walked out through this other exit, we, we had to stop and wait for the athletes to walk past. So um, then we became a bit stalkerish and went after each game to go and say hi or good job. Or So I actually got to see all the players um, and speak to, you know, because they were quite friendly too. Um, obviously when it got late in the tournament, there were a lot of disappointed people that sort of heads, heads down and they'll march them back to their change rooms. But um, yeah, it was pretty incredible to be able to see the athletes walking past. And obviously the, the Australians, when they went past, we were able to, to speak to them and um, both the Boomers and the Opals, which was really nice. And particularly for the Opals girls, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to their training camps this year as well. So their selection camps earlier this year. So, um, you know, I've got a relationship with them as well. So seeing them after their last loss, uh, a lot of them were quite devastated and inconsolable. So it was really nice to be able to see them and give them a hug. And um, yeah, so, uh, but particularly, I don't know whether, I'll, I'll try and find my photo of, um, I'll, I'll bring this up. So this is probably the best photo I got because I was trying not to be 
too much of a creepy fan taking photos of <laughs> everyone walking past. But um, yeah, certainly when the USA went past, all the volunteers as well would come to that area too, because um, obviously they were um, big fans of um, all the USA NBA players. So especially when, whenever they played, there was always, even though there were supposed to be no spectators, there managed to be a lot more volunteers in the stadium that day. So um, yeah, I certainly got, hold on, this is a bit awkward. I should have brought up the picture before I started chatting. Um, but Kevin Durant, um, obviously for an older guy, has done a really good job for, no, I can't find it. I'll keep looking. We can move on to the next question if you like. But yes, all the players. And I, I tried to speak to Evan Fournier from France because I think he, he was my favourite men's player other than the Boomers. Um, yeah, but he, he didn't want to talk. So that was a bit awkward. Great. All right. Um, other than the Australian team, who was your favourite nation to watch? Oh, in the women's, definitely Japan. Definitely Japan. Like they, they were incredible. And I think, you know, for any young athlete. Oh, yeah, there you go. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. That's the one that I. Yeah, there you go. So that's how close I was able to get to, to some of these players. So that's a bit, yeah, that was amazing. So, um, yeah, Japan, particularly for the women, and they were undersized, um, you know, very undersized. Their guards particularly were much shorter than me. Uh, and the way they played, how hard they played, um, and also they were smiling all the time and having fun, like they'd hit, the, they'd get blocked um, you know, and their teammates had run over and giggle and pick them up off the ground. It was just really refreshing because especially at that level, so many of them are professionals, but for the women's competition, definitely um, Japan, they were outstanding in the men's competition, um, obviously the boomers, but if I had to pick another team, uh, it'd be France for sure. I think, um, you know, just having Rudy Gobert, um, you know, and playing with Evan Fournier, just the point guard of the five man, just old school post play as well was just really refreshing and it was exciting to watch. And, um, you know, they seemed to, they were so well conditioned and they played together for such a long time. It was really good to see them, you know, so familiar with playing with each other. Great, great. All right, we got a new question. Did you manage know. to smuggle back a shooting robot? Oh my God. Apparently that's worth $10 million. I think that robot. So um, Toyota have made or developed that robot. And obviously through the course, um, it was quite funny because we ended up seeing it so many times a day. So it did lose its, its uniqueness. Um, so it was exciting when they changed it to being able to part like dribble and then pass. And when they set it up to miss shots, so that made it a bit more exciting, but um, yeah, it still was incredible to see, uh, but yeah, it's worth a lot of money. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And I think, yeah, I think it was Toyota. Um, yeah, they were spruiking that a fair bit. So I think they were the ones that organized to build that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about who was the friendly, most friendly USA player? So in your little encounters? Um, well, I mean, they were very polite. The, I must say the men's team, they were quite polite. They'd always say hi when or thank you when they walked past. Devin Booker was lovely. Um, but for the, the women, I actually never got out in time to see the, the women's team walk past. So, um, but, you know, from all accounts, apparently Brittany Griner is lovely. Um, so she's very friendly um, and no doubt she would have spoken to, well, pretty much most of that group, but her and Brianna Stewart probably would have been the most friendly out of that, that group. 
Great, great. All right, when you coach the gems, how many uh, approximately of those went on to represent Oz in open age? So maybe that they got invited to the camp and whatnot. Oh, okay. So, well, Ezzy Magvagor, I coached her in two of the campaigns for the gems. Um, so, yeah, she was bottom eight. Actually, when I was um, assistant in 2015, she was triple bottom eight and we took her uh, to the World Cup as a 15-year-old. So she, my three campaigns, um, yeah, she was a part of, um, or she was a part of a, a majority of those campaigns and she's only 21. So it's pretty incredible for her, but um, Jazz Shelley's in the squad, Maddie Rochi's in the squad. Um, I think they're soon to announce um, a couple more. So I think certainly the ones that I've been, Alana Smith, um, she was there when I was in 2015 as well. Uh, and I think there's going to be another player from that 2015 group that's soon to be announced for Asia Cup as well, which is a bit exciting. So I don't know if that's out yet, so I probably shouldn't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, a, it's an incredible pathway and it's really exciting to see, you know, and obviously Shyla Hill's in the squad, um, you know, so I think, you know, having like a small part and I think coaches need to be careful. A lot of coaches have come out claiming players and all that sort of stuff. That's not the, you know, everyone has their little step in their journey and, you know, everyone has their own little impact. And certainly if there was anything I could impress on those players, you know, they're, they're getting bundles of advice from every different coach. So, uh, you know, to be able to share some of their pathway um, is certainly exciting and, um, you know, it's nice to be able to still have relationships with them and, you know, and help them, you know, if they, and certainly, you know, there have been some that have reached out just for a, a chat or a pep talk or, or whatever, but then there's some that, you know, they just dust off and they're like, move on to the next program. So um, yeah, it's certainly showing that that pathway is open and particularly for the women, I think that's, yeah, it's shown a really good stepping stone for sure. Great. Great. Now, who do you think were the most innovative countries with their style of play? Um, well, I keep going back to Japan and I hope everyone managed to watch the Japanese women for sure. Um, you know, like when they, they managed to get the Olympics, um, they, the Japanese Federation just pushed a lot of money, obviously into basketball. And, um, you know, it was really interesting to hear through discussions that those women don't play elsewhere. They don't go to Europe and play in their off season or they all stay and play in Japan. And that's because one, there's a lot of money. Like they, all of them, they don't need to go anywhere else and play. And so the the head coach, he's American. He went there, I think, three years ago. He speaks fluent Japanese. So he was screaming at them in Japanese, which was really funny. Uh, but they, you know, I think they're, the way they've evolved. And I think, you know, when uh, Brendan Joyce was coaching the Opals, he introduced us the flow system or the flow motion offense. Um, and that sort of... I guess, um, generated some interest around the world. And I remember our under-19 tournament, um, I can't remember if it was the last one or, or in 2017, Japan were playing flow, which was incredible to see because that's not their normal style of play. Obviously, they're playing five-out basketball, which um, was shown at the Olympics as well. A lot of five-out offense, backdoor cuts, flare, flare screens or flare cuts, um, turnout screens. Um, so for them to play flow was really odd to see. So it was really good now to see their national program go back to what Japan's known for because they're so difficult to guard and it was forcing um, post players to defend them on the perimeter. Um, obviously, USA had the ability to have six foot nine Brittany Griner protect the rim. Um, but, 
you know, it was still, yeah, it was great to see. So I think certainly for them, yeah, they're the standout for sure. Yep, yep. Uh, we did see a lot of food truck pictures on your Facebook. Yes. What was your favourite or what was a highlight um, of oh, the meals? So I remember all the lead up and I was getting all these emails from FIBA and uh, they were talking about the food arrangements and how it was really uncertain because of COVID. So apparently or normally um, they would have catering at a stadium and, um, you know, you'd have access to this full catered area for uh, meals in between games or, you know, especially while we were there, um, you know, for so, so long during the day. I think, you know, the other three that were there part of the panel, they were at Rio. So they were comparing it constantly to Rio. And because there were, there were actually two venues run at Rio, so they didn't get to see all the games. And, you know, one of them would be watching the women's competition. A couple would go to the men's competition. And uh, so whereas all men's and women's games were at the same stadium. So, um, yeah, they talked about this food truck and everyone was a little bit nervous about what that entailed um, because they said there were going to be no options. It was just one meal um, and it was had to be paid for at the start. So we were given per diems or we were, excuse me, given a, um, an amount of money uh, on the day we got all our uniform. And we were of the understanding that, yeah, we had to pay up front for food truck for two weeks. And so, um, yeah, when the first day we went to the stadium, um, as it turned out, we didn't. We were given these little tokens to go to this food truck. And so, yeah, we thought, oh, I'll give this a burl. And it actually had two options every day. And it, they were different food trucks. So they were obviously contracted for the course of this Olympics. And um, I just wanted to pick this truck up and bring it back to Australia. Like, they were incredible meals and everything was so clean and neat. And, um, yeah, the, the best thing, well... I mean, I like eggs, but they kept having all these poached eggs on top of, you know, whatever the meal was that you would crack and it'd stir through the rice and everything, which is something that I was a bit nervous to do at the start. But, um, yeah, I was sort of bullied into trying it. And then, um, yeah, it was incredible. So, obviously, the food truck meals were amazing. So, they, not one disappointed. Um, and it was a really nice variety. But then we also had access to this, uh, the corporate lounge that had pretty much the same food every day, but they... Um, yeah there was pasta or um, like a stir fry stew sort of thing and then they had some sushi rolls or um, you know some little rice um, sort of uh, dishes and then salads and desserts so it was very similar but we we just spent our meals at the food truck because it was <laughs> amazing <laughs> great great all right next question did you notice any major differences in the international game style compared to australian basketball this could be offense or and defense because i know we spoke about defensively there was a big major yeah. flair that australia didn't do yeah so i guess um yeah i was surprised because i mean i was lucky enough to have one year with the opals but you know that whole co uh, culture and um you know, the style of play, it's really smashed into you early about what the Opals is all about. And I guess for the boomers, you know, it's really exciting to see that they've really established their, their culture or their schemes as well. But, um, you know, again, I'm talking a lot about the women's competition that um, teams were getting after at full court. And I, I love it because that was what I grew up playing like, like every team I played with, I was always full court, it was almost the corridor drill constantly. You were just full court picking up players. Whereas now there's a lot of jogging back or different half court defensive schemes. So, um, you know, countries like Nigeria were face guarding um, up full court, which was really exciting to see because especially in senior programs that that isn't done very often, but because of their, 
I guess, their makeup and their athleticism, they were able to do that. Yep, yep. All right, what team do you go for in the NBA and WNBA? Do you follow any one team? Uh, no, not really. I think for the women, though, I've actually got into it a lot more this year and probably because I knew I was going to the Olympics, so I thought I'd better get a WNBA pass and watch properly. Um, but I'm usually at work, so it probably wasn't great having it on my phone at work. But, um, yeah, New York Liberty, I find, are the best. I love Sammy Whitcomb, but... Um, you know, I find her really um, exciting to watch in um, Ionescu as well. So I think um, New York Liberty, I mean, Seattle with Ezzy too. I've always got a nice soft spot for that because, um, yeah, I love Ezzy McVigore. But, yeah, they're probably my two favourite teams. But in the NBA, I don't know. I've, I mean, I'm always a Chicago Bulls fan because I love Scottie Pippen. I just – but seriously, I wouldn't even know the roster at the moment other than um, Zach Levine, which – you know, I don't. I actually haven't watched enough of the NBA to be honest to to get after him. But I might have to follow Patty Mills a bit more. I think. Great, great. All right. What do you think was the best match you watched outside of the Boomers and Opals games? Um. Oh, oh gosh, I don't know. Um. Yeah, I think. I mean, I I don't I don't think I can pick one. Well, for a different way, the Opals. I know you didn't say, but the Opals Puerto Rico, I I never thought I'd be cheering for a point difference. And we were all laughing at the fact that we were, I mean, the first half was terrible, but the second half and having to cheer a point difference was really odd. And that was the first time the Olympics have used that system where, um, you know, they took the top two teams of each pool. Um, and then they took, you know, the, the next top two third place teams. So it came down to Australia having to win by more than 24 points. Um, so that last quarter, I mean, in the end, they only got there with 28 seconds to go. Um, but it was quite odd that we were sitting around, everybody was screaming for the last basket. Um, when it was a thrashing, it was, yeah, that was a really weird experience. So, um, you know, that was definitely probably the most entertaining quarter, um, of basketball that I saw. And I know that doesn't count because it's the Opals, but, um, oh. Incredible. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. Any of the Japanese, I just, I can't, I'm a big fan of the Japanese national team. So um, any of those Japanese games were the best. Great, great. Yeah. All right. Now, so as a coach, will this experience change your outlook on your coaching techniques? For example, the Japanese style of play or your interaction with other coaches? I'd love to be able to coach how Japan play, but unfortunately Australians aren't built for that style of basketball. Um you know, I think certainly I, I, I was surprised. I did see a lot more five out offense. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, I know I played that when I was younger, but we seem to have gone away from that a little bit. So um, that's something certainly moving forward I might consider as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, you know, you can't not watch Olympics that closely and not learn lots of things. There's certainly not lots of notes I've taken and, um you know, and different impressions that teams have left with me. And, you know, I think particularly um, being able to instill the, the right role to players is a really big factor. And I think it was really evident for the teams that were successful. Um, it was very clear that the players knew what role they had. So, um, you know, that's certainly something. And I think I've done an okay job to this point to be able to do that, but that's something certainly that I want to keep developing with. But um, yeah, the style of play, certainly um, some more five out. I think there was probably a lot of, um, 
it was frustrating to see a lot of uh, dribble handoff, stationary handoff action on the perimeter for not much gain and it ended up all ending up with an on ball or all ending up with a particular action that they could have probably got to very early in their offense. So um, sort of having an appreciation of, you know, a lot of these decoy stuff isn't even needed at times. So um, yeah, probably reviewing some of the, the sets that we've got. And I know that, you, you know, Ciro, what we've done with our program is we've got some early offense options, but we've also then got some half, half court sets, but yeah, certainly being able to find um, actions that suit the personnel that you've got in your team, um, you know, is exciting. And I think I've been able to, um, you know, witness different types of that. So hopefully that can help, you know, moving forward. Great, great. So we'll leave it open just for a few more minutes if anyone has any other questions. I do have one because we do have some coaches and parents in the room. What With the way Australian basketball is going, what would you recommend coaches focusing on um, and even parents as well? So, you know, when, when their kids are doing their extra work as well, what should a focus be on for young developing players? Shooting. <laughs> Shooting. You've got to put the ball in the hole. So, you know, I think for Opals, you know, there were times they couldn't make a basket and they, you know, they'd be able to stick it defensively at times and get stops. But, you know, if they weren't scoring, um, yeah, it made it really a lot of hard work. So um, being able to um, get shots away under pressure, because especially the, the higher level you get, you get less time to get a shot away. So being able to um, have the correct shot technique that you can get a shot away and the footwork to go with it. So, you know, and I know, yes, you know, I'm probably a broken record at training about speeding up people's footwork and speeding up your action because, you know, I think for kids coming through now, when they step into senior basketball, um, you know, they might be a, a deemed a shooter in juniors and then they get to senior basketball, they can't get a shot away. So being able to not only get a shot away, um, off a catch and shoot, but also being able to off one dribble. So a lot of, you know, you see, um, you know, a lot of shot fake dribble sideways, get a shot away. Like even that little movement can change your footwork and your balance. So being able to get that repetition under your belt enough. Um, and also on, you know, the footwork coming off screens, coming off flare screens, especially if we're catching the ball behind you, being able to have the core strength and the stance to be able to get your shot away. Um, so that everything, when you, by the time you get the ball up here, all your upper hop, upper half that that never changes so I think being able to get all those little um, that skill set with your shot um, is real key but you know I think um, and I touched on it earlier the versatility in athletes now is really attractive for coaches so you know players don't want to get pigeonholed into um, a particular position but in saying that um, you know you also want to be getting to into senior basketball or going through and finding an identity about what, what you're good at, you know, and I, I know I've had some of these conversations when I was having final selections for gems, um, you know, and especially on the last night, you'd be deliberating over two players, you know, for the final spot. And it's like, well, what does our team need? Do we need a three point shooter? So if someone goes to a zone, do we need a three point shooter that can come on and go whack, whack and take them out of a zone? Do we need someone that's really poised and um, calm under pressure that, you know, if we get rattled or momentum swing, you know, comes into the game that we can put them on the floor and it settles everyone? Or do we need a defender that, you know, they might not play, but we know that if someone gets away that we can just put them on and face guard and they can stop. So, you know, having a bit of an identity around what you are as a player. And so, I mean, sometimes that, you know, that happens later too, but being able to be exposed to different 
types of positions is really helpful in discovering that. So, um, you know, I think if, you know, for players these days, um, you know, that you can make a lot of money being an outstanding defender. Like look at Matisse Thibel. Like obviously he's got the offense to back it up, but, um, you know, being already known at his age and, and I guess, you know, he's still new into NBA essentially compared to a lot of the others. Um, he's already known for being an outstanding defender. So, um, you know, that's really attractive for coaches when they have to select teams or they're trying to build a program, you know, you need those types of players. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, the shooting particularly and also building a bit of an identity about what you're really good at. Great, great. Now for the, you know, junior Broncos suffering these lockdowns, uh, what would you recommend them to do to stay engaged or stay busy or stay up to scratch? So when they do come out of this, they're ready to participate again. Yeah, well, it's really like, I mean, <laughs> I grew up in the country on a farm, so I didn't get exposure. To, there was no way we were doing training programs. You know, um, if we were isolated or it was an off season, you were just by yourself. So having self-motivation um, is the key, but certainly, um, you know, writing down, a bit of a plan or a goal during the lockdown um, is really important. I used to have things stuck on my wall next to my bed about what I wanted to tick off that week. Um, so I'd have short-term goals, I'd have medium-term goals and I'd have long-term goals. And my long-term goal was always to play for Australia. Um, you know, I had medium-term goals that might be in the next couple of years um, and a process to get there. And then I'd have weekly or daily ones. So, um, but particularly, look, I, you know, you can sleep with a basketball. Like you can, like I know you know, just to have the feel of the ball because that's the biggest thing when you come back onto a basketball court is it feels like, God, I haven't touched a basketball in ages. But if you're holding a ball or you're sitting on the couch holding the basketball, it just takes that little bit of, um, you know, I guess those things can affect your confidence. So it just takes that little bit of worry away so that as soon as you get on the court, the rest can come. But, you know, conditioning's easing to keep up. You can do different things to stay fit, um, obviously with the 5K rule, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I'm doing these fitness sessions online in a hotel room um, and I can hardly walk because I'm that sore. But, you know, there's ways around of staying fit. And certainly, you know, even, um, you know, with lockdown, you can do your own little home programs. You can join up with teammates. And obviously technology is amazing being able to do that. Um, you know, and it, it makes it hard for cross-training with swimming, or cycling. So unless you have a, um, a stationary bike or you're able to go somewhere cycling, they're really good ways of staying in shape without impacting your body. Because, you know, we know there's been a lot of lower leg injuries um, or stress-related injuries with basketball and coming back. So, you know, I think certainly with coming out of these lockdowns, it's always a risk because usually it's one week and you're on a game. And then I think, you know, that's still not enough preparation time to be able to get your body conditioned to playing on, on floorboards. So, you know, I think you still need to to run like you've got to actually get that you know body impact happening um but you can also complement that with some other cross training as well so um but having little personal goals is a is a real key absolutely and i think you know if if you're not sure how to do that um i'm happy to give some advice on that or you know there's plenty of self-help things or there's you know speak to coaches um about how to do some some short-term or medium-term or long-term goals and being able to make them achievable because there's nothing worse than putting all these goals up and there's no way you can make them. So they've got to be, they've also got to be achievable and you've got to reward yourself when you get one of those goals. Great. Great. I think we got the last question here. Uh, Paris 2024 on the cards. Oh, I, I would love to say yes. 
<laughs> um, look, the discussion with, um, you know, FIBA was positive. They really enjoyed and they, they thought our, our four panel analyst group was um, worked really well together and um, was really cohesive. I mean, in saying that, we've still got to submit the report, so we might not get marked high for that. We'll see how we go. But, um, you know, that it's so far out. I mean, it's even it's only three years, but it's still so far out for me, them to make that commitment. So I won't know if I get another call up or um, or anything. I, I'm just crossing my fingers and toes that I do because it was an incredible experience. And hopefully by then COVID's changed too, so that, um, you know, it'll be a bit of a different scenario. But, you know, if, if I never get to go to another Olympics, I'm still extremely grateful and was outstanding. So, you know, my pathway though for coaching will take priority though. So we'll see how that goes. Great, great. So I think we're going to leave it at that, but we do want to thank you for your time. Um, I thought you, you did great with answering all these questions too and give us a little insight to your last four weeks or four and a half weeks is going to be in total Yeah. Um, once it's all done. So thanks for that. Um, and thank you everyone for tuning in too. Um, thanks for the questions as well. And hopefully we see you on another Zoom in the future. No problem. Thanks everyone. Look after yourselves.